Hi, my name is Michael Williams, and welcome to the sixth episode of Understanding Politics. Today, I wanted to do an episode about some uh, state politics and local politics. There's not many uh, great resources out there for state and local politics in New York, so I wanted to do an episode today on the New York Republicans. Um, Yeah, um, so... Join me in the sixth episode. Uh, this is also the second premium episode, too, on the Understanding Politics podcast. And before I jump into the episode, we're also trying to start a uh, initiative here. Uh, we're trying to get 10 reviews on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts just so we can boost up the algorithms in our favor, you know, uh, get some more audience members. So then we can invest more in our podcasts and ultimately invest more in you. So if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that'd be greatly appreciated. Okay, so first I wanted to talk about the Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin governor's race. So a lot of exciting stuff here. Um, Sadly, they only had one debate. It took place at uh, Pace University, October 25th. Uh, If you haven't watched it, you should definitely check it out. Uh, It was it was one of the key debates of the 2022 midterms. Uh, and Kathy Hochul uh, faced off against a fiery Lee Zeldin who had numerous critiques about New York State. Um, rising crime, um, rampant inflation in the state of New York, um, crazy taxes uh, that are letting businesses move elsewhere. Um, I think you brought up a point that New York was like top five in uh, states that was losing people. Uh, That's definitely a problem, no matter uh, what side of the aisle you're on, that we need to address in New York. Um, I think the solutions are definitely different than what Lee Zeldin Zeldin is calling for. And then also the contentious abortion issue came up a lot of times. Uh, Mr. Zeldin said if he was elected governor that he would not change the abortion law. Uh, He would not fight for it because the Democrats have super majorities in the Assembly and Senate right now, and it looks like it's going to stay that way. Uh, the Assembly might switch like two or three seats, same with the Senate, maybe. I don't know, a lot of elections are really close. The Democrats might actually pick up a seat in the Senate, so um, we'll see. We'll see about that, uh, but yeah, let's get let's get into Lee Zeldin's case. So, uh, crime has been up, uh, at least there was a lot of, especially New York City crime, uh, aggravated murders, assaults, all that stuff have risen after COVID, uh, by 20, 30%, uh, home invasions, uh, batteries, you know, uh, violent crime is on the rise, which, um, actually gets to my point because his main critique of the New York, uh, criminal justice system is bail laws. Uh, he's, he says that, uh, bail laws should go away. Um, he says that, uh, he, if he got elected, he would have fired, uh, attorney or district attorneys like, uh, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, who is a little bit looser on, uh, sentencing when it comes, when it comes to violent crimes, uh, because he is a more progressive DA. Um, he has different approaches to criminal punishment than Lee Zeldin does. And, um, Kathy Hochul had to defend her position on bail laws. Uh, she kind of went with this attack line that Lee Zeldin is sparking up fear uh, to vote to vote for uh, Lee Zeldin. He's sparking up fear about crime and how he's just going to, you know, 
it's it's really not as bad as it seems which uh I I guess that's that's a, that's a comeback. Um she also said too that uh crime crime has only risen by 3% overall in uh the state of New York uh since the since 2019 when the bail laws were uh, first put on the books. So um the 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 case there is the 3% is a good trade-off uh for these bail laws which um which has been shown that uh my favorite stat to pull out is a uh, 96% of uh 96% of these people who are let out on the bail laws uh uh 4% of them or 96% of them don't uh don't commit another crime uh don't have it don't come back you know don't commit another crime their recidivism rate is 4% uh on these bail laws so and the bail laws only cover nonviolent crimes, uh, just in case anyone was wondering. Um, so the economic benefits of letting people, you know, get out of jail, uh, go back, um, make sure, you know, they're working, uh, paying rent, you know, participating, and then showing up to their court date, you know, when they're needed. Um, obviously, this is, I guess it's a little bit uh, softer um, to let people out, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, these people are getting arrested, uh, they're given a court date, and if 4% of them, you know, commit another crime, I think, I think in my opinion, personally, it's a fair trade-off, um, I don't think, uh, 4% more is, a cause for alarm, you know, that's just my personal opinion, uh, and also 3% overall, I think, I think it's a trade-off, um, we shouldn't be punishing the majority of society for just a couple of bad apples, you know. So those were the main debates in uh, crime. Uh, also, when it comes to, you know, defund the police and uh, some of the more um, left or progressive elements of the Democratic Party that has called for that, uh, no action has been taken on the state level to do anything besides... Uh, New York City Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio, he took away a billion dollars from the NYPD, but then Eric Adams, you know, gave it right back to him. So uh, I, I don't think defund the police has really been tried, and Kathy Hochul has pledged to hire more cops and do more uh, community policing, which ultimately I, I am a fan of community policing, um, kind of normalizing police officers in communities, uh, building good relationships with police officers, uh, not not labeling them as like systemically flawed or something like that i think i think there is there's definitely is a problem with the police and i support um a, a reform i i don't know if i'm fully on board with defund but i do think we should definitely reform the police and give them a little a little less power or divert some of their power away to other agencies but I also think, too, that police should be valued members of our society. Uh, police should get paid more. Uh, we should also just have better people uh, becoming police officers, maybe uh, at least like require a two-year degree. I know it's a little harder now because we are having a time where we're getting less and less applicants for police because they have been so um, mistreated in our society. And I think... I think there's there's two problems to to the police problem. I do think uh, police have a little bit too much power, but I also think that uh, police do need to be treated better. And I think 
if you ultimately, ultimately we do need police. Um, it's just a matter of fact of, you know, how, how they function. And we need, we need to do more as a government to make sure that they're being held accountable. And we also need to make sure that they're being valued too. So, um, that's where I'm at with, uh, crime and all that. I hope I covered that good enough. Uh, inflation, uh, this kind of ties in with taxes, but, uh, so Kathy Hochul is kind of just the same as the Cuomo administration. Cuomo, uh, has raised ta- has uh, started a millionaire's tax and has uh, raised that tax uh, sometimes yearly to cover expenses on the state budget. I'm not opposed to that at all. I think uh, if government if government can get some of that money from millionaires and put it into education, can put it into housing, uh, state housing in cities or in uh, local communities for veterans or disabled people, I'm all for it. Um, what are the millionaires going to do with it? Just do stock buybacks? I don't know. Um, you could also make the case that you could trust some of these corporations with their money to do better. But I believe ultimately that the corporation is um, responsible, that they're responsible, the government is responsible for some of their profits, and they should be forking over a little bit more, especially the culture we've created in New York and the laws and the state government has done a great job in, uh, you know, fostering development in New York City. So we should definitely get our fair share um, of their profits. Uh, that's just something I believe in, but I can also see the case on the other side. I do agree with uh, Lee and uh, Mr. Zeldin in that uh, taxes should be lowered in upstate New York, um, especially on working families, maybe across the state. Um how you pay for it is raising taxes on the rich. Uh, Mr. Zeldin won't do that, which means we'll have a budget deficit because uh, you can't pay for lowering taxes in upstate New York. Uh, well, you can by like cutting funding to SUNY or cutting Medicaid funding, which I think ultimately he would do besides propose a, uh, a millionaire's tax or increase taxes on the rich. And I'm not being cynical here. It's just that's that's kind of the economic libertarianism that Lee Zeldin governs with. And while I do think his solution is fair for upstate New York, um, we do we do need to lower taxes in upstate New York, uh, especially on businesses. Uh, we need to make sure that people aren't leaving upstate New York, not in like a, you're stuck here forever. But we need to, we need to just. Um, we need to just, you know, be less polarized uh, in upstate New York. And we need to have, you know, strong local businesses that can provide, you know, good food, good arts, uh, a really a well-rounded economy. You can't just place like a, a manufacturing plant in Fredonia, Dunkirk, uh, Cortland, you know, some of these uh, suburbs around Rochester, Albany, Binghamton, Syracuse, and just call it a day. You still need to cultivate uh, stuff that stuff that makes a good community and a good culture. So I think it's a I think it's a lot more than and it's really hard in these debates too to address the economic problems of New York in two minutes. Um, that's just my editorial, but it's really hard to you know explain a well-rounded policy position. And even someone who's already listening to this podcast is like five percent of the voting base. You know, people who care about politics daily and follow the news it's just uh, i don't know if humans you know if a majority of us were actually tuned in 
listening to what's going on and weighing problems one-to-one, and it'd be a completely different America. I tell you that much. Um, and then the, one of the last things I wanted to touch on in this debate was abortion. Uh, so Lee Zeldin said he wouldn't touch uh, Andrew Cuomo's bill, in, uh, which he passed uh, during his last term, that would make abortion legal up to 24 weeks with uh, and make it legal up till birth for uh, saving the woman's life or saving, you know, the uh, person who's having the baby's life. Uh, and uh, let's see. Um, but Hochul came back with... Uh, <laughs> you, Lee Zeldin made a little tweet when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned saying that uh, he celebrated uh, the demise of Roe v. Wade and, you know, the great... This was a great victory for pro-life. So it's it's obvious if he got the chance, he would probably go for, I don't know, 15 weeks. or He tried to limit it. But the thing is with the governor is they, they, have, their own, they have their own cabinet of sorts, if you will. And uh, the health commissioner that the governor appoints has uh, a lot of power over um, how... Um, the state, the state, uh, the state funds abortions. You know the uh, funding of Planned Parenthood by New York State. Um, so Kathy Hochul made a really great case in that debate. I kind of, I can't remember like a lot of what she said, but she basically made the case that if Lee Zeldin was elected governor, he would, he would have power to uh, stop New York from being a abortion haven. You know, a place where someone from Pennsylvania or Ohio can drive to and get an abortion safely and if that's a if that's a goal for you uh lee zeldin is not not the choice and um this is a really interesting thing in uh, state government is do we does new york want to be a state where we provide abortions for other residents in different states and uh is that is that is that gonna make someone vote for Kathy Hochul? You know, if if Lee Zeldin says he's not gonna touch the abortion law, but Kathy Hochul says she's gonna go further and make sure that people from other states, does that persuade a swing voter, a center voter, or does that turn does that turn up uh vote uh turn up uh the votes in the 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 uh, hardcore Democratic supporters? Does that get someone like me who's you know, not really pleased with Kathy Hochul to say, okay, I'll go vote for her because she's right. We can't have Lee Zeldin appointing a pro-life health commissioner. It got me to the polls, um, but I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, well-reaching. And the data suggests otherwise because the uh, turnout for the governor's election was 28.5%. Isn't that crazy? Out of the 20 million people in New York, 28% of them voted for the governor of New York. It's it's always weird to have a governor's election in an off year. Um, but I just wanted to touch on 2018 was a really big year for Democrats. Uh, high Democratic turnout. Uh, 2022 uh, was also, you know, um, everyone was predicting it to be a red wave, but it kind of it kind of faltered a little bit. Uh, it's actually a blue wave in some swing states uh, where abortion was on the ballot. Uh, I think you can clearly say that. So uh, the the thing is, though, in New York, uh, five uh, Andrew Cuomo got five hundred thousand more votes uh, than Kathy Hochul did in uh, 
in or 500 yeah got 500,000 more votes than Kathy Hochul did uh or actually Andrew Cuomo got 600,000 more votes than Kathy Hochul did uh Lee Zeldin got 500,000 more votes than Mark Molinaro did so it Kathy Hochul only won by 300,000 but it it seems to me that in the polls she did about as good as Andrew Cuomo did in some of these red counties but it was in it was in the blue uh in Queens for example in 2018 Andrew Cuomo got 391,000 uh Kathy Hochul got 250,000 that's a 140,000 vote difference um that's uh that that takes a 60-40 election to a 52-48-53-47 uh right there um so that's that's really bad numbers uh, for Democrats, especially if the, and I'll touch on this later in the episode, the role of state government in New York. If you want Kathy Hochul to pass, if if New York is a blue state, you know, a Democratic bastion, you want to implement these, uh, sh- these uh, more lenient abortion laws. You want to, you know, try to make a uh, public college, you know, tuition free. You want to do stuff that, uh, that, democratic voter support you know you want to deliver for your voters because every election they deliver you a super majority in the assembly and in the senate now some people make the case that kathy hochul is a stopgap on a more progressive senate and assembly and that she actually you know hung on by the claws of her teeth because she was more moderate i mean i don't know i think the problem was voter turnout um and that i would make the case that in 2022 right now lee zeldin was running on a bigger platform than kathy hochul he had plans for when he became governor what he was going to do in office kathy hochul's kind of just protecting the status quo um and i don't know you could you could say that in 2018 andrew cuomo had delivered on the excelsior scholarship had delivered on the abortion bill in New York State, had delivered on uh, congest- congestion pricing with Bill de Blasio. Uh, they were trying to work that out. Uh, more climate goals, uh, you know, the banning of fracking, uh, stuff like that, Democratic priorities. And he won 60-40. Kathy Hochul barely wins by the skin of her teeth, you know, 53-47. And when people were saying, you know, and and in March of last year and April of last year that she, she was going to win like 65, 35 because Lee Zeldin is so um, much more to the right than Mark Molinaro was in 2018, the Republican candidate for governor. So it's a really, it's a really interesting uh, case study just to see how, how this election fared then in 2018 and kind of the shift of New York I don't know if New York has become more of a red state or if this election was different, if the climate was different, because the Senate and the Assembly in New York State stayed, stayed practically the same. So I don't know if I don't know if it was more swing voters who turned out. I I don't know. The the thing is though that Kathy Hochul did get eight points less than Andrew Cuomo. So there's definitely something going on with Kathy Hochul. Um, her lieutenant governor did get arrested for, um, you know, campaign finance, uh, accepting accepting literal bribes from corporations, and this 
the Bill Stadium was a little fishy. You know, she gave a lot more money than some people would have to to keep the Bills in New York. I I agree with that critique, but her hands are tied, really, uh, because Buffalo is such a depressed town uh, economically, and it's such a small market for an NFL team anyways. So it's really hard to keep them in Buffalo. Uh, I think I think she had to do that, whether you like it or not. And I think the benefit of having the Bills in Buffalo far outweighs, you know, whatever cost you're willing to pay. Uh, she made some pretty good points in the debate, actually, about Buffalo, how keeping the NFL players in the town, their tax revenue, we soak millionaires in New York. <laughs> so keeping those millionaires in New York and getting their tax revenue actually goes goes uh, goes a little bit. Uh, kind of benefits uh of course the economic benefits of the stadium you know uh the hotels the service industry the stuff that uh keeps these economies running uh because they rely on the bills um so it's just it's kind of just common sense uh you could say that's that's why she won uh some people you know recognize that deal um no matter how corrupt you thought it was she kept the bills in buffalo um, she hold on, she held on by the skin of her teeth. Uh, so that's, that's a case. Um, but yeah, that it's just a really interesting, uh, the comparison from 2018 to 2022. Um, so I also wanted to touch on these house races and then we'll get back to the, uh, the state legislature and the state Senate and, uh, what to look forward to in the future later in the episode. But I wanted to touch on, um, uh, New York 22. So this is John Katko's seat. Uh, he's retiring. Uh, he's been a moderate Republican in the House. He's this this year. He voted for the Equality Act. Uh, he voted he voted for um, same sex marriage in the House. Uh, the Respect for Marriage Act. Um, he voted for the infrastructure bill. I think uh, he voted. He voted for some other bipartisan stuff. I think it was the Caregivers Act, uh, something like that. Uh, so he's he's had bipartisan support for legislation over the year. He's been a little bit more uh, socially tolerant than some uh, other Republicans in the House, definitely. Um, he's, he's always been an outlier. I think he's in the Problem Solvers Caucus. So he, he, he labels himself as a moderate. And uh, he was retiring after this year because <laughs> it's just not an environment he can live in anymore. Uh, he also probably wanted to spend more time with his family. He's got two young sons, or two uh, kind of like 16, 18 older sons. So he wanted to see, you know, live out those final years with them before they move. So we get uh, Brandon Williams as the Republican candidate. He actually, he... Uh, He's kind of a more Trump. Uh, he's definitely more populist. Uh, he actually beat Steve Wells, who had the uh, backing of Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise. They held dinners for him in Syracuse. Uh, Steve Wells was a uh, he's a vending machine uh, company owner. He so he's a uh, he was projected to win. Brandon Williams wins by five points, upsets him, and Brandon Williams actually goes on to win this district by a point against the moderate Francis Canole, who uh, ran as a tough on crime, tough on police, uh, ran as someone who, you know, would would uh, work for, you know, the Voting Rights Act, uh, campaign finance, 
uh, very moderate, never, never touched on social issues. Um, he kind of just touched on the more neoliberal framework of, you know, Biden's done pretty good with uh, making sure that we have a fair economy. You know, inflation is bad. We're going to deal with it. Uh, he wanted to drill for more oil. He kind of, you know, was very, it was a very moderate, you know, blue dog Democrat. And he lost by a point to uh, Brandon Williams. And this is, a, this district kind of got altered a little bit to include, uh, Dudica uh, up there and Syracuse. So it was a plus six for Biden and a Trump Republican won it by a point. So if that's not a wake up call for the New York, uh, the New York House Democrats, I don't I don't know what is, um, especially when you had someone like John Kako, who if he ran again and he won, he he might be looking for some more compromise, especially on an abortion bill that might get a vote in this next Congress. Um, for Brandon Williams to win that House race, uh, that's really that's really upsetting uh, for Democrats. Um, these these two or three next House races I'm going to talk about: NY22, NY19, NY17. If Democrats took all three of these, they keep control of the House. Uh, without a doubt. And it's it's really upsetting to see, you know, these Biden plus seven plus eight districts go for Republicans still, even though we kept the Senate. Uh, we fought back in uh, Virginia. We kept some of those swing seats. Um, so it's just crazy to see New York kind of swing the other way when swing states were swinging blue. So maybe maybe the Democrats had some candidates candidate quality problems in the house maybe all politics isn't national um and this election kind of uh spins some conclusions on its head that uh these individual races matter more than you think and even just a couple 10 20 000 more voters who turned out i don't know uh here and there you know these these votes count in off year elections so uh, the turnout for the, the House race was 33% in New York 22. So 4 or 5% more people uh, voted in the House race than they did in the governor's race in in that, uh, in that uh, congressional district. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, people who voted for Canole but left, left Kathy Hochul blank, you know, or see Brandon Williams is... I think I think on the ideological spectrum, he's very close to Lee Zeldin and uh, populist. It would be really hard for me to see someone not vote for not vote for Lee Zeldin, but vote for Brandon Williams. You know, so I would maybe that's maybe that's the re, the repudiation of Kathy Hochul down the ballot. You know, um, but still, even even someone like Francis Canole, you know, he's very close to like Kathy Hochul, but. The maps, the maps are just different. Uh, this is a Biden plus six, and you know Brandon Williams won by a point. So, yeah, that's it's really alarming for Democrats. Uh, it's a great pickup for Republicans, and it's kind of uh, it kind of shows that uh, Trump is kind of popular in upstate New York. Um, he's you know a Trump backed candidate. You know, just won a Biden plus six district in freaking upstate New York. So. That's 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 gotta uh, ring some alarm bells, and that's gotta be really great feeling for Republicans. Uh, moving on to NY19, this is the district I live in. Uh, Thirty-seven percent voter turnout. So, 
uh, again, like eight points more than the New York governor's race. So you have to wonder um, who who's not voting for the New York governor's race, but voting for these house races. Um, this one was uh, Mark Molinaro. He ended up winning uh, by two points. Uh, he was county executive in Dutchess County near uh, Long Island. He was pro-life, but he supports abortion, you know, uh, up to 15 weeks, maybe even more, uh, uh, supports abortion access. Uh, he's pretty much standard Republican when it comes to economics. Uh, he's less uh, economically libertarian and more uh, fiscally conservative. So he's still, you know, uh, very much a Federalist Republican, you know, John McCain type, uh, country club Republicans, as I like to say, Rockefeller Republican. Uh, so that's a really interesting dynamic, especially with the House, you know, right now it's looking like Democrats might be down only two or three seats, uh, will be a Republican majority. So these New York Republicans, uh, Mark Molinaro and Mike Lawler, who we'll talk about next, might be potential swing votes for a child tax credit. Uh, a more moderate uh, climate package, uh, more Ukraine spending. Uh, these could be potential swing votes for Republicans that uh, conservatives might have to make some concessions to to stay on their side because these these issues um, kind of President Biden, at least when it comes to Ukraine, uh, it's very standard. Um, I think a lot of I think it's a really bipartisan thing to just give them more funding, you know, uh, improve our global standing. So, again, it's just really interesting to see where they'll vote on abortion, on, say, another voting rights bill. Uh, these these people will will have a lot of influence. So uh, then we had Josh Riley. He's running. Uh, a, he's never really had any political office experience. He's. He was a uh, lawyer for a big firm in uh, Washington D.C. He's from the area, and now he moved back to run in this house to run in this house race. Um, he um, lost by two points. Uh, he's a little more to the left of Biden. He got uh, he got uh, endorsed. That's the word by the uh, Working Families Party. So, and he took no corporate PAC money. So. I don't know if that helped him. Uh, he could have used some of that corporate PAC money. No, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he, he could have used some more money uh, to get out and campaign more. Um, yeah, it's just a big district. It's from where I live, Cortland County, all the way to uh, Hudson Valley in there, to right before, you know, where the city is. So it's like a three, four-hour long district, uh, maybe even five, you know, Uh so it's a really long, uh, spatially, and uh, yeah, I I really don't have any answers for why you know it flipped Republican instead of you know Democrat. I do think I do think the young vote might not have been as prevalent in uh, New York compared to these other swing votes. That that might be why. I also think too, um, no matter who wins Governor Hochul or Zeldin, uh, abortion is not on the ballot in New York. Uh, I'll just put it that simple. So if that's the rallying cry for Democrats and it's not really a thing that Democrats are going to vote on because the law has already been passed and it's not up for election, um, they're they're not going to do as well this election. And we're kind of seeing that, well, in California, they kept a lot of those House seats because the constitutional amendment for abortion was on the ballot, but they still lost a couple of swing districts 
that they that they thought they might have won uh, because in California, you know, abortion, even though it's the constitutional amendment is on the ballot, no, no freaking way, you know, California is, you know, going to cut off abortion access, you know, it's just silly. So for some people, you know, it's not it's not it's not as big as a deal, you know, compared to the economic concerns uh, i'll go back to that nbc poll 80 percent of people thought that the economy was in bad shape and 70 percent of voters thought that the country was on the wrong track um one thing that i can say full chest is that president biden i don't i don't know where he's going after this you know they're doing the respect for marriage act now in the senate that just passed but what's the big economic thing on his agenda i don't know um you know, it's not, what is he going to raise? I I would like to see him raise taxes on corporations again and on, and on the wealthy, try to get up the, the higher tax bracket. But he has, he has no vision for this country. Uh, and some other people do, to put it quite frankly. So you can think that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but I think if we've learned anything from 2016, uh, from 2020, is that Americans, you know, want to want to go somewhere. Uh, history's kind of stagnated, you know, since uh, 9-11, since, you know, we invaded the Middle East. Uh, so America wants wants to be on top again. You know, Americans want 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 an answer, you know, want a future, something they can look forward to. So, I mean, that's that's ultimately why I think the the Republicans are gaining in a state like New York. Abortion is on the ballot. That's the second, you know, most important thing that was turnout besides inflation. Uh, when you don't have that on the ballot, these, you know, the Francis Canoles of the world, you know, they're going to lose. Um, so especially in New York 19 was a Biden plus seven district. Uh, it used to be Antonio Delgado's district. Who knows if he ran again, he might have won, maybe. Uh, he'd, he'd had that district for years. He was a strong incumbent. But you can't really say that when someone like Sean Patrick Maloney loses. I don't think, you know, Josh Riley and Antonio Delgado are similar candidates. Uh, maybe Antonio Delgado is black. Uh, maybe he drives out black voter turnout. I don't know. Um, it's really, you know, it's hard to say Antonio Delgado might have won that district when Sean Patrick Maloney, well, Antonio Delgado knows that district better. Um, see, Sean Patrick Maloney runs in a different district because it's more favorable to Biden, and he still loses by 0.8 points uh, in a Biden plus 10. So I'm going to shift over to that race. Uh, Mike Lawler versus Sean Patrick Maloney. Uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, you know, uh, chair of the DCCC. Um, what can I say? Uh, first... First, like, gay man elected to represent uh, New York um, in Congress. Uh, he's, you know, he's just been, you know, a standard Democrat in Congress, you know. Uh, I really don't have much to say about him. Uh, then Mike Lawler, uh, he's really an interesting candidate. Uh, he um, moved, he, he said after he got elected that, he wanted to move past Trump in the Republican Party. Uh, I actually watched on Meet the Press. Uh, 
Ben, he said he wanted to govern like Ben Gillum, who was an out and about Rockefeller Republican in the 70s and 80s in Congress. So who knows? Uh, Mike Lawler, you know, might have signed, signed on to the infrastructure bill if he was in Congress. Mike Lawler could support the child tax credit if Biden got that up for a vote again. Um, Mike Lawler could support a $15 minimum wage, maybe. Uh, not that, well, if Democrats want to pursue that again, I mean, in the House, they'd have to win three or four Republicans over. Maybe a $11, $12 minimum wage. Uh, so, and Ben Gillum was also a fierce advocate of human, human rights work. Uh, he supported Ukraine way back in the 90s. Uh, so maybe Mike Lawler's a swing vote on Ukraine funding. Um, you, you, don't, you don't know, you know, but when you mention someone as specific to, as Ben Gillum in an interview, you have to think, you know, wow, would he, would he support, like, more funding for uh, tuition-free community college like Biden wanted to do? Um, voter turnout for this election was 37, so almost 10 points more than the uh, New York governor's race. So, again... I don't know, maybe maybe this is like Republicans, you know, uh, rejecting Lee Zeldin but voting for Mike Lawler, the Rockefeller Republican, you know, over Lee Zeldin who literally got endorsed by Trump. Um, I don't know. Um, you'd, you'd have to think Mike Lawler, um, someone, you know, who said he's going to join the Problem Solvers Caucus compared to Sean Patrick Maloney who is a partisan will tow the Democratic Party line, uh, will not will not listen to Republicans, uh, is, you know, a retail politician, you know, uh, repeats the same talking points, never had an original thought in his life. Uh, compared to Michael Aller, you know, someone who's coming in and is trying to change the game, change the halls of Congress. Uh, I, think, I think this is a resounding defeat, you know, for Republicans. But I think, I don't know... I don't know if this is really a, a, a kind of a, a statement on Biden or if it's kind of a statement on Sean Patrick Maloney and how horrible of a campaign he ran. You know, if you plug someone in like uh, Mondaire Jones, who, you know, ran or someone someone who could at least run a better campaign against Mike Lawler, like you have to be really bad to lose a plus 10 district for your own president. Uh, I don't think... I don't know if it really speaks to Biden, especially the way, you know, he he won his candidates did better in some of these swing states. I don't know if you can blame it all on Biden or if Sean Patrick Maloney just really didn't run a good campaign. Uh, he did beat Alessandro Bigiani for the primary. Uh, she was a progressive New York state senator uh, endorsed by DSA. Uh, she knew the turf a little bit better. Uh, she still lost to Sean Patrick Maloney. She kind of uh, went back on being a DSA member and tried to go the more Warren route to win more uh, center Democratic voters. But I don't know if she kind of bit herself in the ass in the end because then people who are hard left, you know, just won't turn out for you if you're going to govern like a Warren Democrat. Um I don't know. There's a case to be made there. Uh, but Sean Patrick Maloney ends up winning, but he ends up losing to Mike Lawler. Uh, it's just really, it's really uh, poor. Uh, again, if he wins and if these two other candidates win, Democrats keep the House. Uh, so it, really interesting. Uh, definitely, you know, 
look look up Brandon Williams, uh, um, Mark Molinaro, Mike Lawler. See how they vote in the next Congress. Uh, a little less Brandon Williams. He's probably going to go right to the Freedom Caucus. But those other two Republicans, look look how they vote in some of these close uh, House. If Kevin McCarthy controls the floor and, you know, Mike Lawler uh, – you know, the the Problem Solvers Caucus, they could be as much as a problem for Mike McCarthy than the Freedom Caucus. Uh, just putting that out there. Uh, these are really great, you know, if you really want to understand the dynamics in the House and how it works and how Kevin McCarthy, you know, has a plan. He came out with this plan, um, how some Republicans might try to disrupt that. Um, you know, say if they try to impeach Biden again, would Mike Lawler vote for that? Would Mark Molinaro? I think not. Uh, it's, it'd be really hard to impeach Biden in the House when you have these the 10, 15 uh, moderate Republicans who won swing races. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I wanted to touch back on, uh, let's see, uh, Cuomo scan. Oh, also... Uh, all the all the Democrats lost in uh, Long Island. You had Max Rose. He lost to Nicole Mayatakis again, uh, again, literally again. They ran in 2020. He lost, ran in 2022. He lost by an even bigger margin. Uh, they weren't even, even competitive in the new districts on Long Island. NY3, NY1, uh, they lost. So um, it's just, it's, you know, it's a really tough election for democrats in the uh, house and even if they pick up ny1 you're back to like the house margin that you had in 2020 where nothing changes and you gained a seat in the senate so maybe <laughs> democrats should have done some more uh campaigning in new york uh, isn't that crazy to say but literally that's that's how fucking crazy this is uh uh, and not a lot of people are talking about it in the mainstream media. So I just kind of wanted to bring this to light. How if Democrats win like four or five seats in this new map that, you know, the map before the courts changed it, they probably would have easily. But in this new map, if they had just been a little bit more competitive, we're talking a point eight points, not even a full point, one or two points that they lost these elections by. You know, who's to blame? There's a lot of compelling cases. Uh, and you can argue, you know, both sides. Uh, a Republican candidate like Brandon Williams, with he stuck to his guns. Uh, there's an old, you know, the Reagan saying of, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with Ronald Reagan uh, with his policies, but they knew that he was a strong leader, that he, you know, trusted his God. And a lot of people like that, no matter, you know, what his policy was on the economy, uh, what it was on abortion, you know, uh, stuff like that. So there's there's a case to be made on both sides, how these elections were won. And uh, we'll see again in 2024, you know, what was right. And this is kind of the fun of it is, you know, talking to other people, getting their perspective, you know, and just moving on from it. And uh <laughs> It's really interesting. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on was Cuomo scandals, uh, question mark. Maybe that might uh, play into some of these house races, uh, might play into the Hochul, uh, why she lost by so many more points than Andrew Cuomo did. Uh, kind of the COVID lockdowns. Uh, I know those are still fresh on some parents' minds. 
maybe in New York, uh, some of these, you know, the critical race theory, uh, stuff like that, parental rights and education. Uh, we're going to see the learning effects to come uh, from, you know, kids in mass, um, even though I think, you know, mass were ultimately good. Uh, we saved thousands of lives in New York. Uh, the learning effects are to come. And it's easy to blame the party in power, you know, for these learning disadvantages that kids are going to face. And even though we saved thousands of lives, that's not on people's minds. What's more tangible is seeing their third grade kid, you know, test below national averages, uh, lose reading comprehension. Uh, so that's that's ultimately the nature of how politics works. And no matter, you know, how many data statistics you can look at, the emotions are just going to be strong. And maybe there is data supporting, you know, that learning loss was just so crazy. Uh, I know in upstate New York, um, my school got rid of masks. Oh, uh, indoors, like, well, they didn't get rid of masks. Uh, my college, you know, didn't, my college didn't get rid of masks till March, April of, of this year in spring. So, uh, I know that's really different from a lot of other states. Um, but at least in New York, you know, we were, we were back to school, uh, fall fall 2021 with mass and it worked for the most part especially in an upstate new york so uh i don't know uh we'll have to see or we were not fall 2021 fall 2020 with the mass and it worked and people test and it was an honor system and it just you know it worked and we got to stay in school we got to see our friends and it you know ultimately that worked uh I was kind of on the fence about it back then, but now looking back at it, you know, that was, that was the right move. So, um, I also wanted to talk about now that, uh, Kathy Hochul has won and the state legislature and the state, uh, Senate has stayed the same. Uh, what is the role of Albany in the future? Um, so I know the Excelsior scholarship is great. Um, is there still a way we can go farther than that? Uh, free tuition totally, uh, increased funding to Pell Grants, which Kathy Hochul did. Uh, she did increase SUNY funding by $5 million, uh, in this past budget. Uh, she was pretty good on that. Uh, I still would like to see more, obviously. But if you're someone, if you're someone that's more progressive in the Democratic Assembly, I know uh, crypto mining, uh, she never signed the bill. To ban crypto mining, uh, the right to work or crypto mining. Uh, she wanted to keep right to work, but unsupervised crypto mining that's, you know, contributing to climate change, she never signed it. Uh, so it's unregulated. The economic benefits are pretty good from it, though. But the impacts to the climate are just not good, especially if you're someone in the in that progressive lane. Uh, What's a good cause to eviction? Uh, Kathy Hochul hasn't said she'll support it or not support it. Um, the state legislature's passed it. I don't. I don't know if the Senate's gonna vote on it. Um, but Kathy Hochul, uh, she doesn't really have any big policy goals. You know, what's her policy agenda? I don't know. Does anyone know? What bills does she want to do? Does she want to progressively tax New Yorkers more? Or does she just want to kind of lay back and just, you know, let Joe Biden do his thing, see New York recover, and cruise to another re-election in 2026? 
uh, when the economy is on the upturn, when Ukraine is resolved. Uh, she just want to kind of hands off. Um, so I just kind of wanted to touch on that. You know, what's the role of Albany? Do we pursue? Oh, uh, the climate bonds uh, got 65% approval or 63% approval. Kathy Hochul wins by 53%. Uh, so climate bonds were more popular by 10 percentage points than Kathy Hochul. Uh, makes makes you wonder. Uh, makes you really wonder uh, if people are protesting voting against Kathy Hochul. Uh, if they're just leaving her blank. Because uh, I don't know if there's this bipartisan consensus. Does Kathy Hochul need to step up to the plate and do more for New York? Or should she just be a more hands-off governor? Uh, I I definitely would like to see more, especially when it comes to the SUNY system. Uh, I would like to see this is something, and as someone who you know has done musical theater and acting, uh, seeing more funds. Uh, New York State Council on the Arts is already amazing. It could be even better, and especially if you have a lively art scene in a city like Cortland, you know with the with a SUNY college, uh, keeping, you know, more educated people in those areas, you know, more higher earners in those areas, then you can take off in the service industry more, you can take off in arts. You can also, you know, if we fund arts better, if we reduce the price for certain people, it, it can be a fun night on the town for working class people and contribute to the culture. And ultimately, we have to think more about economic development in New York. And I think Kathy Hochul has to make a decision on what economic development looks like in New York. Does it look like more arts? Does it look like more manufacturing? Does it look like better public schools, uh, more public school funding maybe from the state of New York off of a millionaire's tax, more government housing? Do we push for you know a state-funded you know, healthcare system? Uh, there's just a lot of things that Albany could do that it's not doing. And uh, Cuomo kind of leaped into that, and he did pretty good in 2018. Whether that's the political climate or his policy accomplishments, uh, one, one can speculate about. But, you know, he did, he did deliver on some of these promises, and it looks like he got rewarded a little bit, even if 2018 was a great, you know, year for Democrats. Uh, so we'll see. I just I just wanted to talk more about New York state politics and uh, local politics in the state of New York. I know I'm from New York, so I just wanted to cover, you know, some of these election results. I hope you enjoyed the sixth episode of Understanding Politics. Uh, this is a premium episode, so thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, I hope you see some more blog posts out there. If you can, you know, mention the podcast to some of your friends. Uh, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, that's the end of the episode. Peace.